avalanche workers being killed while at work. I have to have an opinion and I have to share it. Near misses can cause individuals and organizations to reevaluate how they operate. You're not putting your skins on your skis, I'm putting them on for you. Welcome to the Avalanche Hour podcast presented by TAS Gazex, an avalanche of solutions, with additional support from Black Diamond Equipment and Peeps. I'm your host, Caleb Merrill. The goal of this podcast is to create a stronger community through the sharing of stories, information, and news amongst people who have a curious fascination with avalanches. Well, folks, I think it's here. I drove over Teton Pass last week as a low, early winter sun was hovering along the horizon, providing that golden, dripping light that provides the best conclusion to a great day. I could see plumes of powder bursting from the tails of skis cutting through the early season snowpack along Edelweiss Bowl. I've been having a great fall interview tour for the podcast, traveling from Oregon to the Wasatch to the Tetons. I feel lucky to have been able to catch up with so many great folks from the avalanche community during the Utah Snow and Avalanche Workshop. I was able to sit down and interview some great guests during the trip, and you can find the upcoming episode schedule on our website, www.theavalanchehour.com. Have some feedback, want to share your story, or have an idea for an episode? Get in touch with us through the contact page. All right, it's time to get to work, folks. Time to start doing beacon drills if you haven't already started. Practice, practice, practice. Peeps has a great app that not only will provide you software updates for its new Bluetooth-compatible micro beacon, but has a great practical knowledge section that can help you further your understanding of flux lines and how to execute the most effective search, from the signal search phase to the find search. It will set you up with ideas on how to set up scenarios with your partners to keep you on the path to become a more effective rescuer. It's good to be honest with your skills and set goals for yourself for the winter. For me, I'm going to be getting out, doing more beacon drills than last year, and really focusing on working on close proximity multiple burial scenarios, utilizing the three-circle method and micro-strip search techniques. Not sure what these are? I'll put some resources up on the links page on our website for you to check out. Another thing I sometimes don't always do is write out a tour plan before each backcountry tour. This is the basis of a systems-based approach to skiing and avalanche terrain. Sure, I usually cover all the bases with my partners before going out, and while guiding, go through this process in a formal guide meeting every morning. But I need to do a better job of making an absolute to fill out a tour plan for every backcountry tour. No excuses. What are some of your goals this year? Tag us in a social media post of you and your friends doing beacon drills, and you can be entered to win a pair of Black Diamonds Guide Gloves. The drawing will be on December 15th. All right.
Ride, episode 2.4. I'm excited about sharing this one with you guys. Scott Savage is our first repeat offender on the show, and he's here to talk about a great project that he's working on. We'll then hear from Nancy Bacchino of Jackson, Wyoming, as we turn inward and hear about what she feels like it means to embrace being human and creating a mountain ethic for herself. Enough of me chatting, let's hear from Scott. Here we go. I'd like to welcome Scott Savage back to the show. Scott's the director of the Sawtooth Avalanche Center up in Idaho. Um, And he's here today to talk about a new project he's got going on. Uh, Welcome to the show, Scott. Thanks, Caleb. Yeah, so uh, just introduce yourself, if you don't mind. Just talk about some of the many hats that you wear in the avalanche world. Yeah, no problem. So I... uh basically got done with, with college way back when in 91 and thought I was going to go to med school and didn't and got hooked on the, the ski area lifestyle. Worked at Big Sky for about 20 years uh, doing uh, operational mitigation work and avalanche forecasting and then switched gears to working over at the Sawtooth Avalanche Center doing backcountry regional forecasting. Then I was uh, affiliated with the American Avalanche Association. I was on that board for about a decade, I recently stepped down from that to give some other folks a shot, and mainly to be able to devote more time to this latest endeavor that, along with Bill Williamson over in uh, Schweitzer Mountain in Idaho, and Ethan Green, who's the director of the Colorado Avalanche Information Center, the three of us decided to start a nonprofit that was focused on avalanche worker safety, and here we are. Right, so... The Avalanche Worker Safety, so this is a non-profit organization, and and explain why you guys saw the need for this. Very little work done as far as actually characterizing, studying the, you know, how, how dangerous is this profession. Ethan Green and Bruce Jameson, a Canadian fellow, and Spencer Logan and some other co-authors back about four years ago made the first really you know, legitimate attempt at getting some numbers behind that and looking at you know, are we more similar to gas station attendants or store clerks regarding our, our fatality rate? Or are we closer to construction workers or miners or some of these more dangerous professions? And, and it turns out it is a pretty dangerous environment that we're working in that, you know, we're a lot closer to those more dangerous professions than we are to the, the sales per, salespeople at the local store or the person working at the gas station or someone cooking dinner for you at the restaurant. So with, with that in mind, we decided, okay, well, what can we do about it? And to, you know, ideally to reduce that that rate of people being killed at work. And really the, the first thing that when you're looking at any problem, the first thing you want to do is understand the problem. And we, we just don't have data about how and why people do get hurt or injured or, you know, have these close calls and near misses at work. So we formed Avalanche Worker Safety to... Uh, reduce workplace workplace accidents involving avalanche workers in, in North America and especially the U.S. The big goal is that we're going to partner and work co- cooperatively with uh, operations, so for-profit and not-for-profit operations, agencies, and individuals to, to develop and promote tools that will improve worker safety. So 
that's kind of the gist behind Avalanche Worker Safety, why we got it going and, and our goal with it. So so will that include seminars and workshops or, or what sort of tools would you be providing or or uh, guiding some of these organizations with? Yeah, good question. So the initially the, the biggest missing piece of the puzzle that we saw was if you look at other industries, I'll back up stuff. If you look at other industries that work in these high consequence, you know, what people would call dangerous environments, you know, there is some risk and, and you can get injured or killed at work. So examples would be the military, the Coast Guard, firefighters, law enforcement, um, from aviation is another classic one where, you know, when you do have accidents, people will pay the ultimate price. So we looked at how they have um, tried to study and dealt with reducing these workplace rates, workplace uh, fatality and injury rates. And almost universally, the, the first thing that, that those groups do when they, and they, they tend to all have a lot of money, a lot more than the avalanche world to sink into to trying to improve uh, workplace situations. But they almost universally come up with came up with the idea of, okay, well, we, we need to collect data. Mm -hmm. So what are we going to do? We're going to create some sort of a, a database or a collection system to be able to get information on when people are having accidents or close calls or near misses, and then figure out why is that happening? So look at, you know, what's going on, the, the situation surrounding these events, and try to kind of glean what they can from it. You know, if you're going to research a problem, you need to have the data to start out with. So our first goal with Avalanche Worker Safety is to create a platform that will be able to do that. So we'll be able to collect this data and, you know, have a kind of a dual dual purpose with the, the database. It's uh, www.avalanchenearmiss.org is uh, the, the project launched by Avalanche Worker Safety. So we want it to, one, be useful to people who are going to do research down the road and try to figure out why why these things are happening and what we as a community can do to, to reduce the chances of being hurt or, or killed at work. And also, probably more importantly, is to, to give something to the, the boots-on-the-ground folks. So whether it's ski patrollers or ski guides or backcountry regional forecasters or heli guides or avalanche educators, you know, whoever you are, we want to make sure that this tool becomes a really valuable training tool for them right off the bat. So it's not just about numbers and, you know, gearhead statistics where folks working on their PhDs or after they have PhDs can, you know, have a data set to play with, but we want stories. So it's, you know, here's what happened. Here's what I learned from it. And the idea is that, you know, individuals are going to share their stories and other individuals will find that useful. And there's there's no way to learn better than than hearing stories. Yeah, this is Scott. This is all so awesome, and and I've been waiting for something like this to come out and have scratched my head in the past why we don't have something like this in in the United States for avalanche workers. Um, in the summertime, I fight wildland fire, and um, you know we have something within the fire service called SafeCom and SafeNet. SafeCom is for air-related incidents or near misses or close calls. Um, and SafeNet is ground-related. And anybody can anonymously go on 
and uh, explain the situation that happened. And, and just like you're saying, people, people are learning from it and people review those, those near misses. So um, it sounds like you guys have kind of modeled it somewhat after um, utilized the National Firefighter Near Miss Reporting System, which is, I believe, uh, structure-based. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah, that's that's you hit the nail on the head there. We we worked with the folks from the National Near Miss Project, which is a project um, done on behalf or done by the International Association of Fire Chiefs, mm-hmm. and they've been amazing to work with. Where they provided, you know, basically all of their knowledge base, you know, via a couple of key employees, Andrew Beck helped us out the most, and it's just been really instrumental in, in getting this this project up and running. So we patterned a, a lot of the, the platform that we're using off of, you know, what they've been really successful doing. Um, and you, you hit on a couple of really key points there with, you know, your experience as a wildland firefighter in the summer that for this to work, to be able to collect data, it, it needs to be one, it has to be useful. Two, it has to be free. You know, if you're asking people to, you know, pay for subscriptions to yet another thing for work it's just not going to go over very well mm-hmm. and three that has to be anonymous so to protect both the individuals and probably you know potentially more importantly the operations where a lot of these incidents that's where we are a little different in the community the avalanche community than uh structural or wildland firefighting where most of those employees work for a government agency which gives you some sort of a shield from you know, liability to a certain extent. It's not a for-profit company where in the avalanche industry, the vast majority of people working are working for operations that are there to make money. They're working for companies and those companies are going to have a, you know, they're, if they don't make money, they don't exist anymore. So it, it definitely adds some complexity to it, being able to make sure that it is anonymous and that we're doing this ideally in a way where we're not going to increase the liability and decrease the, either the customer base or the amount of money that these companies can make. Cause if, if we don't have the support of the companies, the project will work. Sure. And I think, you know, another factor too, you touched on politics and liability um, from these companies, but is is just the ego of people. Um, and that's one of my goals with this, with my project, with the podcast is to try and break down some of that culture of shame. But uh, it's human nature to to feel ashamed about a a mistake um, or near miss. So I, I think it's it's awesome that this is anonymous. Um, I think that'll get a lot more people involved for sure. Yeah, no, it is. It's really difficult to to say, yeah, I'm the stupid one. I'm the one who made that mistake, and and air your dirty laundry out there for all your friends, coworkers, colleagues to look at. So having that anonymity uh, really helps out. It makes it a lot easier to stomach to put your own close call or, you know, maybe you did something silly, maybe you didn't, but to, to get that out there is a lot easier if your name's not on it. Yeah. So what, what do you guys define as a near miss or like what, what should we be reporting? Yeah, it's, it's, it's really difficult. That was one of the, you know, when we started down this road of, okay, how are we going to, how are we going to do this? What are, we needed to define near miss right away. And the, as we worked on that, Ethan and I and Bill, we uh, quickly came to the conclusion that, well, 
if you try to define it, you're gonna you're gonna miss something. There's always gonna be the well, what about this? What about this? So we purposely left it kind of vague and very similar to the nationalnearmiss.org, where um, if you look on the homepage of the website there, avalanchenearmiss.org, we say a near miss is a situation that did not go the way you planned, could have ended badly. Mm-hmm. Near misses don't lead to injuries or deaths, but unchecked they could. Um, we we don't lay out exactly what it takes to, to be officially qualified as a near miss. We, we kind of end it with one more phrase and the kind of definition that we use is a little longer than this, but we end it with near misses can cause individuals and organizations to reevaluate how they operate. And that's really the, what I think is the key component to it, that a near miss or a close call is just something that really makes you think about, wow, that, that could have ended really badly and makes you reevaluate how you, what you're doing, how you're doing it, why you're doing it. Yeah. And you can, and that's how we turn it into a learning opportunity. I would, I would think. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, within your database, who can report something? Yeah, it's, it's pretty open-ended. So on the website, you, there, there isn't a whole lot to it. We, we designed it, uh, Simplicity is the key for sure, both so we can understand it and and everyone else can. But when you're submitting a report, um, basically the the only thing you're going to get there is some terms and conditions that say I have my supervisor and employer's permission to participate in this, mm-hmm. and that you understand that we're going to destroy all the primary reports and take out any identifying information. So you you click that. And then you're basically good to go. We're we're really hoping that it's uh, it's avalanche professionals who are having workplace close calls or near misses. They could involve an avalanche. They may not. So we we built this so it'll accept. Like if you're working for uh, some sort of an operation, you have a close call on a road or near aircraft or with explosives. That those would all fit into this website as well into this database. But yeah, we're looking for things that that happen in the workplace to people who are working as avalanche professionals. Right. And so I see, you know, right, as of now, you guys have, looks like four reports up there. Um, It looks like people have reported stuff going back to 2008. So I imagine a big part of what you guys are trying to gain some momentum with is, is reporting on things that have happened in the past, right? Yeah, exactly. So we're going to, has both uh, the avalanche worker safety folks, that's myself and Bill and Ethan. So we'll be out at the regional professional development seminars, the, the SAWS, so to speak, over the, the coming weeks and months, trying to spread the word as much as we can. And we'll have, you know, other folks too, who are doing just real quick talks to let people know that, Hey, here it is. Here's what we designed. Help us help you. And when we get in front of these crowds of avalanche professionals, you know, the, there is no ulterior motive. It's just to, we want to help make working conditions safer and better for avalanche professionals. And the way that, that we can do that is if you guys jog your memories and go back and think about, oh, yeah, that one time when I had that really close call and I learned a lot from that, that's exactly what we want to have in here. It doesn't need to happen this year. It can could be something from 20 years ago. And if people don't remember the exact date, that's fine. They can, they'll be close enough. Sure. And then once, once there are more reports in here, you're able to search through and filter out 
um, for different avalanche characters, characters or types, severity, um, and you can also search by date range. I think that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, you'll be able to search by any of the any of the fields basically that that we collect when uh, when we're getting the information submitted about the the event, and also keywords. So you can just search the like maybe you're you're one. Huh, I wonder how many times people had close calls involving cornices. Mm. So you can just put that keyword in there, and it'll you know I think once we have a, a robust data set in here, we get a, a fair number of incidents it'll be really interesting from that perspective on if you're a an operational manager and you had something happen at work and you're like god does this happen to other people too and you search for it and you might find lo and behold that there's you know 10 other really similar incidents and decide that okay we, we need to look at this this wasn't just a one-off something that happens once in a blue moon this is happening to other people too and maybe we need to look a little closer at it yeah so yeah it's that's a goal for sure that we can, you know, have some, some really good functionality into the website right now. It's, it'll be fairly basic, but we plan to definitely expand that as, you know, as, as the data set grows and we come up with more ideas on what to do. Really the sky's the limit for what we can do with this thing is we just need the data first. Sure. Yeah. So when looking at your website, um, you know, if you were to be reporting a near miss, I really like that it has the contributing factors and you're able to choose up to five different factors. Um, some of which are broken down into field team or individual factors and then an organization factor. Um, and this seems absolutely key to, to figuring out why, what leads up to these close calls. Um, so I, I, I just, so our listeners are aware, you know, some of, some of these things are, mission planning, pressure to perform, personal satisfaction, communication, overconfidence, distractions. You know, I think I think all these things are something that any avalanche worker can relate to. Um, so I, I really like that aspect of the website. Yeah, great to hear. No, they, they are really important. And a lot of that's taken from kind of the industrial safety field. Um, I was fortunate to be able to do some work with Jerry Johnson, a professor at Montana State University, and uh, Pascal Hagley from up in Canada and some other folks doing a survey on avalanche workers. And so when we did that, Jerry came up with a, you know, a lot of really good literature and talked to some other folks on, on what these the contributing factors are. So it's not just things that we pulled out of thin air that are only specific to the ski industry this is you know taken from other industries for sure the, the contributing factors and it was really interesting when we did that survey to look at what people assigned and you know it's 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 not a reviewer who's assigning what the contributing factor was it's self-reporting so what the individual who had the hearing this happen is saying you know this is why or this was a contributing factor on why this accident or close call happened but it's really interesting to look at both what they do assign blame to and what they don't. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in, in general, with the the survey work that we did in the past, the the individuals tended to assign blame to themselves to making poor decisions, just basically screwing up. And you know, whether it was communication or uh, powder fever, you know, a variety of things. But it was more... You know, they definitely assign the blame to themselves and not to the organization or operation. Hmm. And I think it'll be interesting to see if that if that holds true as a general trend with 
this project if uh, if people don't tend to take more responsibility for what happens to them themselves rather than blaming it on someone else. Right. Um, Scott, are you guys doing any work to kind of dig up near misses that might not be reported anonymously or uh, is that straying too far from the mission of this project? Yeah. At this point we're not, mm-hmm. we're, uh, we kind of have our hands full just trying to, you know, establish the, the partnerships, um, with various both industry agencies and, um, like associations are, are key partners right now. We have the American Avalanche Association is uh, on board and helping promote this project. And recently, we just added Heli Ski US, which is an association that mm-hmm. represents the interests of all the heli ski operations in the in the United States. So that was huge, you know, to have a, a really operationally focused association and being really excited about what we're doing, and you know, hopefully encouraging their their users and members to contribute to this yeah but yeah for now we're just going to focus on that on kind of getting the word out and trying to to grow the database via other people's experiences rather than trying to dig up things that may have happened sure and so so the onus is really on on us on the community um to take the initiative to to do this and it's it's only going to benefit us in the future for learning from these events. Uh, that's great. Yeah, exactly. So the idea is that, you know, we'll have a, uh, I'm sure that most of the listeners are probably familiar with the snowy Torrance series of books that, you know, detail accidents that happened in the, in the U S and Canada. And it will be, you know, in effect an online professional oriented version of that, which will be really, uh, like you said, incredibly invaluable, really similar to hopefully what the firefighting industry and aviation and all these other industries that have learned a lot and done a lot to really improve the the workplace safety in their various industries have come up with based on what happens with the anonymous reporting systems. Right. So, Scott, why do you think this has taken so long for for uh, to come to fruition within our community? Was it just yeah, the, a, the fact that nobody took it on, or what do you think? Yeah, it's a good question. It's kind of a combination of, of things. Um, Ethan and I and Doug Abramite, who has uh, sadly passed away mm-hmm. a few years back, but we started talking about doing something like this over 10 years ago, about trying to get it together. And there's, you know... A, a, Anytime that you're trying to introduce something new, some people are going to view it as change or potentially a threat to upset the status quo. So there were there was some resistance to it. Um, for years, we were trying to get you know more buy-in from the the operations, frankly, the you know various companies that are out there or the the entities that that are collaborations between all these companies. We wanted to have buy-in from them. And it was it was difficult. It wasn't happening as fast as we wanted to, so we would kind of put it on the back burner. And eventually, we just got to got to a point where we decided, you know, we're gonna we really want to do this. And became a little more stubborn, I guess, about doing it. And figured, well, we're gonna we're gonna get whoever we can on board before we launch it, and we're gonna keep trying to change it, make it better. So 
both the individuals and the operations are really excited about this project, but we are going to launch it and do it and, and do that kind of on the fly while it's operating. So I think that's, that's part of the reason. And then, you know, just people are, people are busy. We did this on our own time with, uh, you know, basically our own money for starters. I think we'll, we'll be able to solve the funding side of it later, but it's a, you know, it's a, a project because it's something we really care about. It's uh, and they're, you're only going to find so many folks who are that excited about doing things where you don't get paid and it takes a lot of time. You know how that goes. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, well, Scott, I commend you, all you guys that have put in a lot of hard work on this project. Um, I, I think it's a huge benefit to our community. Thanks so much, Caleb. We're, we're really excited to see where this goes down the road. Is there a, uh, is there any opportunity to donate to the avalanche worker safety? There is. Yeah. If you go to the website, uh, you can click on a, there, there's information on how to contribute to it. And, you know, potentially we'll be looking for people to help with their time as well as, you know, donating funding. But, you know, I'd encourage any of the professionals out there, if you have questions, you can go to the website, you can click a link to email us or you can email avalanche. It's info at avalancheworkersafety.org. And, uh, you know, there, there are a lot of different avenues where people can help in addition to contributing. Okay. And you, and you mentioned that you'll be at, or somebody will be at most of the regional saws this fall. Is that correct? Yeah. We're trying to have someone who's uh, fairly intimately familiar with the project at every professional development saw this fall. Awesome. So we could touch base with you at one of those. I know we're in the, exactly. the meat of the saw season right now. So um, we'll see you out there for sure. Um, Sounds great. Scott, you got any, any news from the Sawtooth Avalanche Center? What You guys got any new projects going on up there? You know, we, we have a little bit, um, you know, switching hats here, and I'll put my my USFS Sawtooth Avalanche Center hat on. So, yeah, we did add a little bit of website functionality this year where we have a new observations platform. So the, the public, anyone who wants to, will be able to see our observations in their kind of unfiltered, unedited form which is um, something that has been lacking with, with our platform. Mm -hmm. So we're really excited about that. And also we made it easier for the public to submit their observations and they'll be, they'll be visible to other members of the public, but we give people the choice to not have their name out there. Cause a lot of people get nervous if they're going to do something wrong. So yeah, we're really excited about the opportunity there that hopefully we'll collect more information and you know in, in avalanche centers it's kind of a common misconception that people think oh yeah all they want to see is snow pit data and you know snow pits are great but what we want to see is information on well we skied this and it was just blower powder not an avalanche to be seen anywhere no signs of obvious no obvious signs of instability no cracking no nothing that's you know that's priceless that kind of information or we went out and as soon as we touch the snow on the ridge, we triggered three or four avalanches. That means so much more than a snow pit. So being able to collect that kind of information is is uh, really going to help us create better products. And help the community as well. Help any other backers. Yeah, exactly. User. Yeah, awesome. Yep. Any uh, any fundraising events going on or any friends groups? There are, stuff? yeah. There's a, the Friends of the Avalanche Center have a, an amazing new movie night coming up on November 10th so on on veterans day 
uh, Friday night and it's called homegrown. So it's a collection of a lot of the, the best footage from the local cinematographers so the lo- local movie makers and athletes in the Ketchum, Sun Valley, Haley, Stanley area, which we're, uh, we're really excited about. So that's going to be at the Liberty theater in Haley. So if anyone's, uh, listening who's a local or is in the mood for a road trip to get out there, it'll be a great night of films that you probably won't see many other places. And we're expecting that tickets will probably go pretty fast. They're going to be on sale soon here. So you can check the website at sawtoothavalanche.com to see where you can get those. Okay. Awesome. Well, Scott, where can we find and follow you guys on social media these days? Yeah. Thanks, Kevin. So the, the websites are www avalanchenearmiss.org and www.avalancheworkersafety.org We're on Facebook at Avalanche Worker Safety and Avalanche Near Miss and then Twitter and Instagram are Avi Near Miss and Avi Worker Safety. So we're just getting ramped up with our, uh, with our launch and we'll have a lot bigger social media presence going forward. There's not a lot out there right now but you know, please follow us and stay up to date on what we have going that way. Yeah, it sounds like it'll be ramping up. So yeah, I encourage all my listeners to follow follow these guys on social media. Well, Scott, I know this has been a, a group effort to get this off the ground and, and you know, you're serving as the spokesperson right now for the, the podcast, but any other thanks you'd like to shout out? Yeah, there are, Caleb. Uh I'd be remiss without mentioning three people. So one, Doug Abermite starting about 10 years ago we started looking into doing something like this and doug passed a few years back sadly but uh you know this may not have happened without doug kind of spurring us on and then also chris lundy and clark Corey, who have been the the technical brains behind us doing our uh, all the website work and those guys have been great you know having people who can write code and our avalanche professionals is just a huge bonus yeah, that seems like it'd be absolutely key. Well, Scott, I know you're a busy guy and, and you got some mountain biking to do this afternoon. Um, but once again, I'd like to thank you and Ethan and Bill for for the hard work that you guys have put into this this system. And, and I, I speak on behalf of the community. Um, thank you very much. Hey, it's our pleasure. We consider it a privilege to, to be able to do things like this. So thanks a lot for spending your time to give us a platform to share what we have going on with with all the listeners yeah absolutely well scott have a good good first part of the winter and hope to see you out there soon sounds great you too take care caleb Well, Scott, sorry I'm a bit late on getting this one out for the timing of your latest Avalanche Center fundraiser, but I'd encourage any listeners in the Ketchum and Haley area to check out sawtoothavalanche.org to stay up to date on upcoming events and avalanche conditions. While you're staring at the screen, check out avalanchenearmiss.org. Nancy Bacchino has been living, working, and recreating in the Tetons since 2000. 
She works as a guide for Exum Mountain Guides. She's a course leader and instructor trainer for ARI, and she is a member of Teton County Search and Rescue. To round it out, she works as an ecologist in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem. Nancy gave a great talk at the Utah Snow and Avalanche Workshop at Snowbird earlier this month. I approached her about sharing her talk with the podcast, and after a day of training in Little Cottonwood, we pressed record. Thank you so much for having me, Caleb. I'm honored to be able to be here talking to you about being human, particularly being human and sharing a passion for snow-covered mountains, knowing what it feels like to stand atop a peak in the sunset with several of your close friends, watching the light fade from the sky, pulling your skins, putting your boots to ski mode, maybe pulling your buff up to cover your nose, preparing to descend through crevasses over windboard, hoping for some powder, headed for a tiny hut in the expanse of a huge wild place on a glacier in the Canadian Rockies or somewhere extra special to you to share dinner and laughter, maybe some whiskey, to dry out your mittens for the next day. It's in these moments we find our true bliss as humans who truly love to slide on the snow. I'm here to talk about embracing being human and finding freedom in that, in communicating and having a mountain ethic. You've all seen the list of human factors that have become firmly established in the avalanche industry, particularly in education in the last five years or so. Avalanche safety education and the industry standard have focused on snowpack, weather, terrain, but research on avalanche incidents indicate that psychology plays a significant role as well. So today I'm going to talk about human factors, but in a bit of a different light. Topics have a way of progressing over time, growing in depth and influence. In the spirit of progression, I would like to pause for a moment and ask you to think about that list. What does that list actually mean to you? What are the items on that list to you when you're in the mountains? Is it a relevant list? Is it tangible? Does it help to keep you alive? I believe that that is a list of human emotions. And I propose that we begin to transform how we think about that list Can we embrace our humanity and think of this list as one of human emotions that give us freedom to travel through the snow-covered mountains more safely? Today I'm going to talk about two of the items on that list, specifically communication and making it mindful rather than a lack of communication or poor communication. And I'm also going to talk about pairing our passion with our responsibility to build a mountain ethic rather than a lack of planning, a lack of patience. Let's begin with communication. Well, what is communication? If you look it up in the dictionary, the definition is the exchange of thoughts, messages, information by speech, signals, body language. It's the art or skill of using words 
effectively to transmit information or ideas. It's a message given to someone with a purpose. So humans innately crave connection and we find it through communication. So rather than having poor communication be a human factor, how can we take our natural tendency to communicate and use that human emotion to our advantage? I believe that we have to nurture mindful communication in ourselves and within our groups of coworkers or partners recreationally. The pieces of mindful communication include things like having an opinion and sharing it, asking questions, sharing your observations, speaking up if you see something relevant. You don't get to say, oh, I don't care, whatever everyone else wants to do. You have to share your opinion and you have to think about your message and your timing of your message before you speak. You have to practice concise and complete and targeted messages. We also must practice and demand good listening within our tour groups. In addition, we have to know when to inquire and we have to know when to advocate. And I'll talk about that a little bit more. So we have to make a commitment to achieving real, true communication. We can't settle for anything less. As an avalanche instructor for a decade, I've strived to give my students something tangible to grow as individuals. So I've put mindful communication on a graph. Basically, communication in the backcountry is a continuum. The foundation of the continuum is these mindful communication skills that I just talked about. So basically, on the x-axis, we have message strength. That goes from inquiring to advocating. And then on the y-axis, we have uncertainty from low to high, or risk from low to high. And the key here is is that the message strength matches the uncertainty or the risk. And we have to understand that we have this tool that we can use when we need to. An example of using this tool is if you are having a concern about a slope, you would be inquiring, you'd be using a very low-strength message if you said, what do you think about this slope? And that's fine as long as if in your gut you aren't thinking, oh my God, we can't ski this slope, because then you actually need to use a message strength that's more towards advocacy, which may sound like, I'm really uncomfortable with this slope. I don't think we should ski it. I'm really uncomfortable with this slope. I would like to talk about our decision-making process. I would like to talk about the things we decided that we needed to learn about this morning before we left. That would be even better. It's also really important to understand that on the very far side of the advocacy scale is those moments when you know that you can't proceed, that you have to change something, and your partners don't really want to, and you might have to grab them by the jacket and look them in the eye and say, we have to go back up. We can't keep going And if you don't want to put your skins back on, I'll put them on for you. It's really, really important to understand that you have that far side of your message strength as a tool that 
Hopefully you don't have to use, but you should know that it's there if you need to use it. So if we can do these things, we can successfully exchange critical information. And this exchange will hopefully keep us safe and it might save our life someday. You have to demand this mindful communication of your teammates and of yourself. The next human emotion I want to talk about is the passion that draws us to the mountains. When we think of that in human factor terms, that passion that drives us to the mountains causes a lot of problems. Part of the words on those lists include ego-driven, summit fever, social proof, all these things. It's our passion that's driving that. So if we take upon ourselves to match our passion with responsibility, when we place ourselves in an environment with significant hazard and uncertainty, where our decisions and actions impact others, then we find freedom in being human. And those human emotions are something that are beautiful, powerful tool that we use. I believe our passions drive our ethic. And so in order to match passion and responsibility, we need a mountain ethic. How does one create a mountain ethic? Think about what drives your passion for the mountains. Freedom to explore the winter, wild places, untouched snow, physical, emotional challenges, Movement under your own power. Experiences shared with loved ones. Bliss born of their simplicity. And the power And there is the mountains in that phrase. Those are some of my passions for the mountains. And so I think about those words that would join those passions with responsibility. And I build my mountain ethic, and I encourage each one of us to build our own mountain ethic and then demand that of our partners and of our community. My mountain ethic. We go to the mountains because of our passion for bliss and to feel what it feels like to be alive. We go to the mountains to play, to challenge our bodies and minds, to share magical moments with our loved ones. We go to the mountains to be held in their beauty and wildness, for our well-being, for enlightenment. The times we spend in the mountains make us forever rich. Our freedom to travel in the mountains demands our humility and personal integrity. Respect the mountains. Listen to what they're telling you. Listen to the wind. Feel the snow under your feet. See the snow and weather changing around you. Choose to be responsible for yourself and your team. Choose to communicate. Choose mindfulness. Demand patience. Learn and gain knowledge. Practice and gain experience. Passion and responsibility are interwoven. You encompass the universe and the universe encompasses you. Be connected. Be present. You're not unlike a snowflake, special and unique. Traveling through, working in, teaching about the snow-covered mountains is our chance to embrace being human, to combine passion and responsibility and an opportunity to grow as individuals and as a team. Successfully navigating being human is equally important to navigating avalanche terrain and snowpack. When we achieve this, 
within our team and within ourselves, true bliss is our reward. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that, Nancy. Nancy, as a member of Teton County Search and Rescue, shared with me a podcast called The Fine Line that is produced by Backcountry Zero. The podcast focuses on reviewing accidents and rescues in the Tetons. It's really great stuff. Backcountry Zero is a Jackson Hole community vision to reduce fatalities in the Tetons and is a project of the Teton County Search and Rescue Foundation. Check out the Fine Line podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes. Thanks for listening today. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Rate and review us on iTunes. Just do it. Go do it right now. Leave us feedback on the website, because most of the time I think I sound like this. Um, hi. Welcome to the Chris Farley Show. I'm Chris Farley, and my guest tonight is one of the greatest musicians, or rock musicians, I mean, I get... I guess songwriter ever. God, that sounds stupid. God, I'm an idiot. I never know how to start these things. You, you remember when? Remember when you were with the Beatles? That was awesome. Love it, hate it. I want to hear about it. This show is for the community. Don't forget to tag at the Avalanche Hour podcast in an Instagram or Facebook post of you and your partners practicing beacon drills, and you can be entered to win a pair of Black Diamond Guide gloves. The drawing will be held on December 15th. This season, I'll be trying to do a better job about releasing episodes on a schedule. You can expect to see episodes on the 1st and the 15th of each month, plus or minus two days, depending on snow conditions, of course. Our artwork was produced by Mike T. You the man, T. Our music today was performed by Little Glass Men, Ketza, Ryan Little, and Sun Squabby, made possible by the generous permission of the artists or courtesy of freemusicarchive.com and made possible by the Creative Commons license. Big thanks again to the support of TAS Gazex and Black Diamond Peeps. Tune in next time when we hear from Utah Avalanche Center's Craig Gordon as he talks about his work with the amazing Know Before You Go program. Until then, set some goals, stay safe, keep having fun out there.